Hello, Christ City Church. My name is Tisha Hadra, and I'm so excited to be with you today. Pastor Justin and I have done some work together through Fuller Seminary, and I just have an immense amount of respect for him. So when he asked me to um, preach on this particular Sunday, there was just no way I could say no. And so I'm very, very honored and and excited to be here. Just a a little bit about me. Um, So I'm originally from Florida, and I recently served as executive pastor at an Anglican church down in Los Angeles, but I'm currently living uh, along with my my husband here in New Orleans, uh, Louisiana, serving as a chaplain at a hospital here. And so that has been really amazing and, and beautiful work. And so again, I know I've said it about a million times, but I'm, I'm very pleased uh, to be with you. So before we dive in, let's pray. Almighty God, um, we trust that even in this virtual space that your Holy Spirit continues to be at work. And so we say as a people, come Holy Spirit, come and and be among us. Open our hearts uh, and our minds and our ears so that we might receive a transforming word from you. Uh, We love you, Lord, and we just look forward to all that you have to speak to us through this message. We pray these things uh, in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. So forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. These are the words that Jesus taught us to pray. The word forgive, it's a pretty common word, right? And it's not exclusively a church word. I mean, pastors aren't the only ones that are talking about forgiveness. And we use it in everyday conversation. In fact, just this week, I have seen headlines talking about, you know, forgiveness of student loan debt. And I've heard uh, pundits wondering if forgiveness is dead in the wake of so-called cancel culture. So I guess forgiveness is kind of the cool thing to do right now. It's at least cool. It's at least the cool thing to talk about doing. But I am not convinced that we really know what it means to forgive or to be forgiven. We're often just too quick to offer it or we're too intent on withholding it. And in fact, both responses actually stem from the same problem. And that is that we tend to have a very thin or anemic understanding of the power of forgiveness. And and maybe you've seen this too, right? In the aftermath of many tragedies, before the victims' families have, have even buried their dead, I mean, reporters are right there asking them if they have forgiven the perpetrator. So you see, they expect forgiveness to come quickly. But, but that's actually because they don't understand the weight of it or the cost of extending it. And I'm fairly confident, I'm fairly confident that many of us can relate to being intent on withholding forgiveness, right? There are those times when we have been wronged, lied to, betrayed in some way, or when the gravity of the injustice visited upon others is just unfathomable, and we just cannot seem to bring ourselves to forgive the perpetrator or the wrongdoer. And so even in those moments of withholding forgiveness, we also fail to grasp how forgiveness can transform us 
and maybe even our relationships or even the world. So whether we're too quick to expect others to offer forgiveness or we're intent on withholding it, we suffer from the same problem. And that is the failure to understand the breadth and depth and power of forgiveness. And so the question becomes this, how can we make sense then of the words that Jesus called us to pray? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. What does it mean that God forgives us and how should we live in light of that forgiveness? In our passage from Luke's gospel, Jesus is trying to answer these very questions for the Pharisees. So let me just start out by giving you just a tiny bit of context for this passage. So you may have heard this passage called the the parable of the prodigal son, right? And the text tells us that tax collectors and sinners were gathering all around Jesus, wanting to listen to what he has to say. And the Pharisees and legal experts, they were upset. They were angry that Jesus was associating with and even eating with sort of those people, those tax collectors and sinners. And they're in the same sentence for a reason. It's because tax collectors were seen as just, you know, the worst of the worst, right? They they harassed people and, and took their money on behalf of what really was an oppressive regime. And here is Jesus just eating and chatting with them. So Jesus responded to the Pharisees grumbling by telling them three parables or or stories that are meant to communicate a particular message. And the third of the three parables is the parable of the prodigal son. It's our passage. The first two parables actually build up to this final parable. It's kind of like listening to a piece of music and it's building, building slowly until all of a sudden, right? The beat drops or the music just bursts open into this fantastic crescendo and it blows your mind and maybe even takes your breath away a little bit. That's this parable. That's our passage, right? It is an epic beat drop and the Pharisees hardly know what to make of it. So here's the story. A man has two sons. And I I just, I love this. I love that Jesus begins by telling us the relationship among the main uh, figures in the story. The younger son asks his father for his share of the inheritance. And I don't want you to gloss over this too quickly because I don't want you to miss the slight that's here, okay? The father is not dead yet. (laughs) The father is not yet dead. And the son says, hey, I want my money now. So for whatever reason, The father says, okay, okay, fine, you got it. And so in this huge show of generosity, the father gives the younger son his share of the inheritance. And how does the son respond? He skips town. He packs up all his stuff, including his newly acquired wealth, courtesy of his father, and goes to some faraway place. And the text tells us that he squandered his property through dissolute living. 
he wasted it. All of the wealth that his father had given him, just gone. And and listen, in this cultural context, it's not just about losing some money or some stuff. The very name of the family, their very standing in the community is at risk because of this son. Actually, the prosperity of future generations is on the line here. So the younger son is in just a world of trouble. Not only has he squandered his inheritance, bringing shame on his family, but he's also far away from home, right? He has no one. And then on top of all that, as if things couldn't possibly get any worse, there is a famine. So he has to get a job. And so he starts working for this farmer, feeding his pigs. And listen, I want you to see how far he has fallen. He once had a family who loved him, a family of some wealth and prestige, and now he is feeding animals that in his faith would have been considered unclean. And it turns out that the pigs are even better fed than he is because the younger son actually says, I am starving. And so by the time we get down to uh, verse 18, the younger son just cannot take it anymore. And so he says this, he says, I will arise and go to my father. And verse 20 says, while he, the son was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion, filled with compassion. You see, the younger son doesn't even make it all the way to the house before his father comes running out to meet him and wraps him up in a hug. And the son tries to get this speech out that he prepared, right? He kind of had it all planned out, everything he was going to say, but he doesn't get beyond saying, I have sinned against you and against heaven, and I am not worthy to be called your son. And once the father hears his son's confession. Once a father sees the, that, that sorrow in his eyes, the father knows that it is time to celebrate. And so he orders the best clothes and shoes and jewelry to be brought out to his son. He basically says, sort of like, get the barbecue going, bring out the best meat. We need to party because my son was dead. He says, my son was dead and is alive again. So when we pray, when we pray to our father in heaven, Forgive us our trespasses. We are that younger son. And like him, we also wander off to faraway places, don't we? Trying to put some distance between us and God, kind of trying to do things our own way. Another way to say it is we sin. And I know. Sin can be a hard word for some of us, right? Conjuring up feelings of guilt and condemnation because maybe someone has used that word sin as a a cudgel, as they sort of bludgeon you over the head with it. But I want you to remember this, that Jesus taught that all of the law depends on these two commands, To 
to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And if we are honest, right, none of us can claim to do that perfectly all of the time. We sometimes think that our worth comes from our degrees or the school we went to or the job we have or the car we drive. And so we compare and envy and we live for more and more stuff rather than living for God, the one who is the true source of our worth. And we prioritize all kinds of other things above spending time with God and knowing God more, whether that's work, hobbies, or even sleep. And we don't always love our neighbors as ourselves. We sometimes are not very good at even welcoming our neighbor, let alone loving them, whether that's the immigrant, the the refugee, or the person next door. And we get impatient, don't we? We get impatient with our friends and our partners, our kids, and the strangers who cut us off in traffic. And we aren't as generous as we could be with our time or our money. And I could go on, right? The list goes on. But what I'm trying to get at is that no one is immune from sin. Pfizer is not going to be coming up with a vaccine for that one, okay? But, but, there is an invitation in the Lord's Prayer. An invitation to arise and go to the Father. To admit the unavoidable truth that we have sinned. And the good news, the the best news, is that God is faithful to forgive us. And we don't have to come with our, our bargains or our perfect words. Because while we are still far off, while we still have dirt on our faces and... The stench of the pig pen is still on us. While we are still far off, as we move toward God, God comes toward us and embraces us and freely extends forgiveness to us. And friends, that changes everything, everything about what comes next. Because next, Jesus taught us to pray as we forgive those who trespass against us. And here, Jesus invites us to become forgiveness people. Jesus invites us to become a people of forgiveness. People who have an entirely different way of being and living in the world. And don't forget, Do not miss that that Jesus told the story of the prodigal son in response to the Pharisees' concerns about Jesus hanging out with those tax collectors and sinners, right? The people that society had decided were beyond help, the, the outcasts, the marginalized, right? And through this parable, Jesus is saying, listen, You may have deemed them unworthy, 
but my forgiveness extends even to them. And so it is my joy to be in community with them, to minister to them. It is my joy to welcome them. You see, the forgiveness that Jesus is offering is so expansive. It is so radical. It is so all-encompassing that once we receive it, once we realize that, that we are the younger son, that we are the sinner and the tax collectors, once we find ourselves at the feet of Jesus saying, God, I have sinned against you and against heaven. And then we experience a forgiveness that is so good, that is so good, it is like the best robes and the finest meat and the biggest party ever for all of us. Once we've received that, we simply cannot be the same. Theologian N.T. Wright says, once you breathe in the clean, fresh air of divine forgiveness, as you practice breathing that in and you become then able to breathe it out. God's forgiveness is the foundation and the model for becoming forgiveness people. And we see this model all over scripture. As Jesus commands us to love one another as I have loved you. And when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, he said, wash the feet of others as I have washed your feet, meaning serve others as I have served you. And here God is calling us to forgive others as we have been forgiven, which is to say freely and expansively. In our personal relationships, this means through prayer, and sometimes therapy, right? Through prayer and sometimes therapy, coming to a place where you can say, I forgive you and I do not hold what you did against you anymore. And I can have love for you now as a child of God. And I want you to notice too what I did not say. I did not say that forgiveness involves excusing or covering over wrong behavior, right? I also did not say that forgiveness means that you have to be in relationship with the person. Sometimes boundaries are good and necessary for our mental and physical health and safety. So I wonder, I wonder who are the people in your life right now who have wronged you, and hurt you that you need to forgive. And maybe Jesus is inviting you to live into his example of expansive forgiveness in your relationships so that when people look at your life, they get a glimpse of the forgiving nature of Jesus Christ. So together, this portion of the Lord's Prayer 
Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us presents a vision of a world where Jesus's love and forgiveness is available to everyone, even those, even those whom society has relegated to the margins. And that forgiveness, when we grasp just how radical it is, And that Jesus offers it, even to us, it changes how we live in the world. So when we pray, the next time that you pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We express a deep longing, a groaning for the day when forgiveness is rampant and peace and justice reign. So now as as we prepare uh, to come to the table, as we prepare to receive communion, to live into that saving act of Jesus Christ on the cross, body broken and blood shed for us so that we could be forgiven, I invite you, I invite you to arise and go to the Father just like the younger son, and make your own prayer of confession. So now I will lead us in a a prayer of confession from the Book of Common Prayer. And it says this, Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And so... Christ City Church, may you live confident of God's forgiveness for you as you freely extend it to others. And as we wait for a world that is overcome by radical forgiveness, compassion, justice, and mercy.